0: This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier, Premier Chelsea. Chels. Hello, Chelsea fans, and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea. It's getting close to the end of the transfer window, and who better to give us updates than our friend Ben Jacobs. Ben? Welcome back. How have you been? I'm good. How are you both? We are doing good. Thank you for asking. I think we want to jump right into some transfer ingoings and there's, there's been a lot so far. And so maybe to keep it concise, let's talk a little bit about the midfield. Cause a lot of Chelsea fans are worried about some creativity in there still linked with Enzo still linked with Caicedo. What can you share with us there?
1: Well, I think Chelsea are going to be busy. That's the first thing. And ultimately, coming into the window, they needed a right-back and a central midfielder, regardless of the excitement around all of the other signings. And that's still the case on the midfield front. They got through Malo Gusto. That's been announced within the last 24 hours. Excellent young prospect, good long-term cover and competition for Rhys James. It's not a given that he's only a backup and quite a versatile player. As well. So, very exciting signing for Chelsea. They had to cave on loaning him back to Leon until the end of the season and also pay a total package of 35 million euros, which is somewhere close to the top end of their own valuation, but very pleased with that investment and from Leon's point of view, good business for them as well. So now it's a mad scramble for a midfielder if they can get one. And I don't think we're going to see any urgency or panic. I think they'll have some targets in mind, maybe even a surprise or two if they're unsuccessful with the two names that you've mentioned. And then come summer, if they need to return turn to a name or pivot in a different direction, they will. And this is the beauty of the January window that, yes, they've spent a lot, but they've got ahead of the market. And as a consequence, if they do add a marquee midfielder now, and it is still an if at the time of recording, then they move into the summer, maybe needing another midfielder, possibly depending on outgoings, looking at the striker situation and bringing on board a goalkeeper as well. But there's not as much to do. And this is the point of the project, really, that they've spent a lot now But because they've got their targets, you can look at it as not only successful, but almost like four windows in one comparative to how a Manchester City or a Liverpool might act. And therefore, we can see a slowing in terms of the incomings still being ambitious, but not to the same volume because they've invested in youth. They've invested in goals. They've invested in creativity. They've invested in defenders. They've invested in their present and their future. So then when they get to summer, there won't quite be the same scramble because now you can start to see on the football side at least what direction the project's moving in. So with Enzo Fernandez specifically, we have to be very careful, first of all, to point out that we are recording at the moment on a Sunday in the afternoon and things change very quickly because this isn't early in the window, this isn't a summer window. So therefore, as we try and work out direction of travel, we must make it clear that there will, for many players, be meetings, both direct and through intermediaries, and clubs change their mind all the time. But with Enzo Fernandes, we know that he was a top target at the beginning of the window. We know, as I've reported many times, that Chelsea took a low-ball approach comparative to the release clause. And we know, as of last week, when there was some relatively secret contact between the two clubs, that Chelsea still reiterated that they didn't want to trigger the release clause. Now, on that point, Chelsea are always going to say they're not going to trigger a release clause because if they intimate to anybody that that might be something they do, then Benfica will just sit back, have a cup of tea, wait for the last few hours of the window and then let them trigger the release clause. So there's a tactical element here at play. But it is worth pointing out that that has always been consistently what's been intimated from the club. Then reports have come out in the last 24 hours that they're trying player swaps. We know Todd Bowley likes that. And on top of that, there is a... Excuse me. There is a feeling that they might just go, as originally was the tactic, towards the... Matching the release clause, but paying in different installments. And if they know that they can't get a deal done for anything other than the release clause number, then logically, that will be the preference to pay the amount of the release clause, but do it in a different payment structure, because from a business point of view, that will be highly beneficial. And at the back of their mind with all of this will also be the urgency of wanting a midfielder and potentially even thinking about that rule change to FFP, which is likely to come in in the summer. Because if you're going to sign Enzo Fernandez, and you're going to have to fork out that kind of money, pushing for it now, but being able to offset it over a longer period on your books versus maybe not being able to do that over the summer could also be a consideration as well. And this is why there's so many moving parts. So we have to be very careful because at the time of recording it's not one of those as we thought earlier in the window close deals or done deals it's not there yet but I expect this one to move if Chelsea proceed a lot quicker than Moises Caicedo both are obviously going to be quick so there's only two days in the window but it's worth pointing out that Benfica on the final day of the window have got a league match away from home And that actually kicks off, ironically, at 9.15 UK, which means that it will finish at about 11.15 UK, which is 15 minutes after the deadline. So everyone at the Benfica end will either want to take the player to the game or know that he's outgoing, probably by close of play tomorrow. So therefore, if there is to be movement on Enzo Fernandes, brace yourself for a dramatic 24 hours. Right now, and again, I stress at the time of recording, because people will listen to this over the next 24 hours, so we have to be very careful. Right now, we know Chelsea have never given up on Enzo Fernandez. They've never said it's definitely over. They've always assessed the movement of the market. They've always assessed the tactics behind delaying. And sometimes people ask me, why Chelsea not doing anything? And inaction can be action, because you can sweat out a selling club. So all I can really tell you at this point is that Chelsea haven't gone away As I've reported consistently for the last really two weeks, there's always that possibility, never been denied that Chelsea might come back in. And there has been a feeling in the last 24 hours that they are seriously considering doing something in a formal sense. And now we have to wait and see, because again, you can be intimating that to get ahead and some tactical advantage on the Caicedo price. Or vice versa, you can enter the race for Caicedo in order to make Benfica sweat. But I think the difference is that Benfica are at heart a selling club. They're going to get nowhere near the release clause, however that's paid in the summer. The player wants the move. And of course, you've got an agent in the middle as well, who's all about doing these kind of deals. So there's definitely still a chance with Enzo Fernandez. We now have to wait and see how it develops over the next hours and day. But I think we're talking day If there's no breakthrough, if there's no move, if there's nothing concrete, if there's nothing formal in the next 24 hours, I think that Chelsea will realise that that one isn't going to happen. So watch this space into probably Monday afternoon at the latest. And obviously, if I can bring you any development on that, I will. But at the time we're recording, Chelsea very coy on the situation as they were last week as well. With Moises Caicedo, we know that Chelsea have already in the last week or so a little bit longer, actually, made a bid. And subsequent to that, Arsenal have topped that bid. And intriguingly, the Arsenal bid at 60000000 million didn't have any add-ons, which means that there is still potentially scope for them to return. And Brighton have had a very mixed stance on this. They've been forceful in saying the player's not for sale. They've gone directly to Arsenal and told them that no offers are welcomed. But they'll keep a number to themselves. And as I've reported, not recently, but consistently since the middle of December, that number's about 75 million. And now that there might be two bidders, because Chelsea could yet return as well, it can go even higher, somewhere like 80 million. But we've heard all kinds of numbers banded around, like 90 million, 100 million. Brighton are not telling any club a specific number because that's not how they work they're not going to engage and say, sure, you've offered a 60 Arsenal or 55 Chelsea plus any add-ons, taking it actually to somewhere in the mid-60s, give us X and you've got a deal. They're not looking to sell, which means they're not going to do that. But Caicedo's, Caicedo's new agents are active and they're pushing and encouraging to try and find out what might be the magic number and to try and handle it in a situation to give their player the best possible opportunity to exit. And this was the big surprise with Caicedo, really, because all intimations at the player end, all intimations at the Brighton end, all intimations at Chelsea's end when they first bid, and now from Arsenal, have been that he's not going to kick up a fuss. He's not going to stir the pot. And then suddenly the new agents come in and there's a statement. So we can read into that what we like and all we can do as journalists is report what multiple sources said before the new agents came in versus the statement after. And when you release a statement like that, as we saw from Trossard as well, it's very much a last resort because things are not going in your direction and you're putting out a public message, which is as good as handing in a transfer request. And now we have to wait and see whether Brighton caved to that in any way and realize they have to get a deal done. And I think that Roberto de Zerbi is maybe the softest in terms of the stance that he's taken because he's starting to use words like hope he stays but it's not my choice and Chelsea fans may remember Brendan Rodgers going for not for sale to maybe not for sale to probably not for sale to it's out of my control to it's up to the board to ultimately it's the kind of thing when the player doesn't want to play for you that you've got no choice but to sell and I think that De Zerbi's language is filtering into that direction but time is running out so I think Arsenal are probably ahead of Chelsea on that one at this point but there's a lot of twists still to come in this window.
2: Ben thanks for thanks for all the the background on you know both deals and as you're speaking I'm I'm starting to wonder is it Enzo and Moises for Chelsea or is it Enzo or Moises for Chelsea?
1: Oh I mean it's definitely one or the other that's not to say by the way that you wouldn't go for one in the summer if you got one now if they were still on the market but to think about Chelsea in the last two days of the window dropping let's just call it 105 million because that is the release clause but obviously we know that Chelsea's Actual offer was lower than that, but there was some verbal discussions that irritated Benfica implying that Chelsea might go higher. And then Moises Caicedo about, let's just call it 75 million. So before you know it, you're spending 180 million pounds in the last 48 hours of the window. And Todd Bowley's been ambitious. Todd Bowley spent a ton of money. Todd Bowley's bought for the now and for the future. But to think in 48 hours they're somehow going to pull off Enzo and Caicedo would be dreamland. If they do it, (laughs) they'll have had the greatest ever window in the club's history. In my opinion, even if they get one, it won't be far off the greatest window. It all just depends what you judge it by, whether you're looking at individual signings, whether you're looking at value, whether you wait and use hindsight to see how these players actually perform. Because often when people look at a window, when it's happening, They'll just add up the money, add up the prospect, add up the talent, add up the rating, and add up what they've done at their previous club. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be a success. I mean, how many forwards in particular or creative-minded players have Chelsea bought that haven't worked out, but at the time there was huge excitement about them? So we have to be careful how we judge the window. But I do think it's fair to say if it was Enzo and Caicedo plus what they've got, (laughs) you simply cannot ask for a better window than that. But I'm always reticent because I think that If either arrives, but particularly Enzo, social media in particular will break. And Todd (laughs) Bowley will enshrine himself as a popular, amenable, ambitious, crazy, but in a good way, chairman and ex-interim sporting director. And that's great because it, it changes the mood of the whole football club towards people understanding that they need to be patient. And let's not forget that Gusto and Nkunku are coming in in the summer as well but again it's not only about the money spent and it's not only about the collective names because you can find that one of the ones we're not talking about as much Badia Shield will be a good example might end up being a star player for many years to come you might find that another one like Jawa felix even though they might find a way to buy him goes back you might find that mudrick doesn't live up to his rep so, it's all about how we judge the window. You know, if it's only on the finance, if it's only on the ambition, and if they get in a midfielder, it's an astonishing window, especially for a January. They'll have got a summer window out of a January, having already done a lot of active business last summer. They'll have learned some lessons about last summer. They'll have given Graham Potter the best possible opportunity to succeed in the long term project. And they'll have shown with their back to back windows of Abramovich light spending that they mean business and they'll have shaken up the market. So all of these things should be celebrated. All of these things should create excitement amongst the Chelsea fan base. But the one missing thing in judging the window is obviously how each of these players do for Chelsea. And sometimes, like I say before, you make a couple of signings and not as many, but they prove to be box office. Sometimes you make an underwhelming signing, but they just end up So astonishing that when you look back, you're like, wow, what a bit of business that was. And of course, other times you spend the money, you get a known established elite level player And it's like, wow. And Manchester City and Haaland is a good example of that. But look at Leicester signing Mahrez, signing Kante. At the time, they wouldn't have been celebrated. But in hindsight, you start to go, what an incredible bit of business. Look at virtually everybody Brighton have brought through the door in (laughs) recent seasons. Exactly the same thing can be said. Look at Anthony Gordon at Newcastle, which is split opinion. But let's wait for a season or two and see how the player develops. So I think when we judge that window, we have to be very careful about what criteria we use to judge the window, but absolutely, categorically, was it to be the almost impossible scenario of Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez somehow coming in in the next 48 hours, then I think the whole of the football world has to stand up and hand Todd Bowley a round of applause and an apology because let's not forget, he's been (laughs) caricatured, he's been derided at times. And it's quite clear, from window to window, that he's learnt some lessons, that Chelsea's recruitment team, both new and old, have learnt some lessons, and that the kind of targets they've gone for in January, in some ways, are very different to the summer ones, but even where there's overlap in terms of youth or potential, they've had a changed approach to the negotiations. They've got business done early in the window. They've lined up business for the summer. They've been prepared to spend big to get ahead of the market. They've handed out long-term contracts to try and shake up the market. So this is a different approach to say, Zachariah, Scramble, last day of the window. Bamiyang specifically for Thomas Tuchel. Sterling, which was, I still think, a really good signing, but not to the same profile as the younger players that they've brought in for the future in different positions. And in the gap, let's not forget between windows, they've renewed Rhys James. They've given Amanda Broya a new contract. They're negotiating and they've made progress with N'Golo Kante. They will still talk at least to Jorginho. Even that one is more pessimistic and they have been able to put on hold the Mason Mount talks, but when they continue, that will still be a priority as well. So they've covered a lot of ground is what I'm saying. And that's not just in the window, it's before the window. And therefore, once the window shuts, it, it might not actually be as enthralling and as exciting. This is not the norm. So come summer, it might be more about outgoings. It might be more about stability. It might be more about getting other business operational needs done, like internal recruitment, stadium redevelopment, building the multi-club model. There'll still, of course, be some signings, but you know, this really isn't how Chelsea will do every single window, which again is what makes it in a January so dramatic.
2: Yeah, it it absolutely has been dramatic. Like you said, Ben, and I'm kind of used to waking up and seeing a new player join the club every other day. Um, But jokes aside, no, I definitely think, I mean, in recent memory, I feel like this might be one of the best January or or most active January windows for Chelsea uh, between, you know, the Roman era and new era. So Look, as Chelsea fans, we're, we're happy with the ambition we're seeing. We're happy with the young players coming in, but also the likes of Mudrik, uh, who can go on and be- become a household name. Uh, but it comes down to, and we've seen the memes on- online, uh, we can't have a squad of 40 players that are available <laughs> to Graham Potter, right? So you mentioned outgoings in the summer, but we still have two days left and we spoke about incomings. But are you hearing of any outgoings in the next two days? I mean, I know... Ziek, it might be one Pulisic if he was still fit. Um, but any others within the squad that may look around and say, you know what, I think my time might be up here.
1: I think the one to watch is Conor Gallagher. Probably Chelsea have always had mixed feelings on this because they've not desperately wanted to let him go. But if the right offer comes in, maybe around 35 or 40 million, they'll have a very serious decision to make. And then a lot of the clubs looking in midfield late on might prefer a loan. And then it's all about, do you give him an obligation to buy, an option to buy? And is there any concern about potentially loaning out to a Premier League rival? Because when Manchester United and Newcastle inquired over the summer about Christian Pulisic, Todd Bowley didn't really want to give him to a Premier League rival. But I think it's fair to assume if they get in a midfielder, uh, midfielders still could leave in the next two days and Conor Gallagher on a loan. And then we have to determine if that's a loan with an option or an obligation could be very likely. And if the right numbers hit late in the window, maybe there is a chance of a deal that is just straight and um, permanent. Because deep down, if Chelsea stock that midfield, Gallagher might be one of the players that they would be prepared to let go. So he's one to watch. Nothing definitive. But Newcastle, Crystal Palace have been tracking Conor Gallagher for quite some time. And I think if they had their way, it would be a loan. But again, it's about whether it is a loan with an option or an obligation. So he's one to watch. And then, as you say, Ziyech is another to keep a close eye on. I think Ziyech will be used in conversations with players as Chelsea try and get total packages because they want to let some players go in that position, even though he had a great World Cup and has been getting game time, Chelsea know when everyone's fit they've got too many players in that type of position. And that's not only because everyone's a like-for-like player to Ziyech, it's because virtually everyone they've brought in is versatile too. So if you need them to cover in Ziyech's position, if that's not their number one choice, or vice versa, if you feel like Ziyech could be used with a bit more freedom or a bit more centrally, again, there's so many players in that position. And this is the beauty of who they've brought in, and in fairness, who they already had at the football club, that Graham Potter's got tactical versatility. He can play Havertz or Felix, he can play Havertz and Felix. Mudrick is obviously a left-sided winger who loves to cut inside on the right foot, but he'll be developed over time, I think, into a more versatile player that relishes in certain situations or formations, having maybe a more central role to begin with. And that's the thing when you change and develop a player surrounded by quality. You want that movement. You don't want them to feel like they're always only wide. And Riyad Mahrez is a good example of that throughout his entire career. He's played in lots of different positions. And obviously, when we think about wingers in particular, really good wingers, we see them as stretching the field and starting out wide. And then having that opportunity to either get to the byline or get crosses in or cut inside, at which point they can get a good angle to cross. They can be intricate around the box or, uh, of course, they can break into the box and start scoring goals. But if you look at the inverse of that and you've got a player that's naturally accustomed to being wide, if they start a particular phase of play more central, then the natural inclination, unless they're right on the edge of the box, is that they could either be breaking with intricate play from central areas more directly. So therefore defenders become worried about the middle of the park, but they've also got this lightning pace so they can sprint out wide. And if you start central and sprint out wide, it's much more of a surprise because there's two genuine options depending on the phase of play. And this again is a development area for someone like Mudrick who's used to starting wide, used to receiving it wide, used to staying on the shoulder of a defender and using his pace. But if he floats in centrally, for example, anticipating a counter attack, then he's in a different position where potentially, this is only from longer distances out, he can be running at central defenders. And that's where you often get more of a mismatch because fullbacks tend to be quick. So when Mudrick's up against a fullback, it may be an even race, even though he's got this incredible acceleration. But when he's up against a centre-back, it can be hit and miss what the pace levels are. And it's a bit like basketball when you get a mismatch under the hoop. That's the kind of thing that you can manufacture. And I think that Graham Potter loves that about players. When you have them in a formation that's actually quite rigid, we know what the position is, we know where they like to play, we know what the aim is, but they have that intelligence and speed of thought to get out of position purposefully when they see that mismatch, when they see that opportunity to cause havoc. And they know exactly that they are given that mandate of freedom. And I think because Chelsea have got a lot like that, Felix falls into that category, Mudrick falls into that category, Mount falls into that category. It means that when you're Ziyech and everyone's fit, you're going to fall down the pecking order. So Chelsea would like to cash in and get some opportunism out of the Great World Cup that he's had, but the price that they want And the wages is difficult. The clubs inquiring are hoping for 15 million, 20 million, and Chelsea paid 33 million for him. So they'd obviously like a little bit more because on the fee, at least, they would like to break even. And then on top of that, the clubs looking at Ziyech have to be able to afford his wages. So Newcastle are in quite an interesting position because if they sign a player like Ziyech already on a Champions League wage, does that go against their structure? And on top of that, it's a heavy fee. And then Roma are going to still be one to watch as well, but they won't want to necessarily pay Champions League wages either, because they're by no means guaranteed qualification for the Champions League either. So this is definitely one to watch. And I think if we see Chelsea move in midfield, then Gallagher and or are still possible late outgoings. And If there are no major senior outgoings on any kind of permanent deal, then we have to look at the summer and start saying that there may be an urgency to get rid of three or four or even five in and around the first team. Otherwise Chelsea's squad is just going to be too big.
0: Yeah, Ben, I think that's spot on because it definitely is a very bloated squad and as much as it hurts to lose some of the players, I think for efficiency, it needs to happen. We have about four or five minutes here. So I want to wrap up with one of our special players that, I'm still surprised we got him on a free a few years ago, and that's Thiago Silva. I know he's coming towards the end of his contract. Are you hearing anything coming out of the Chelsea camp, especially with his age, although us Chelsea fans know age is not, it's just a number for him. Anything there if he's going to renew or if they're going to offer him a contract?
1: On Thiago Silva? Yes. I mean, it's obvious that as long as Thiago Silva is fit and playing and being an outstanding not only defender but leader, he'll stay at the football club. So all of the signs point towards that renewal. It's something silver wants, it's something Chelsea wants. And when you bring in players, you shouldn't only look at players as replacements for some of the older squads. You should work out how in a transitional period, some of those older team members of the right mentality in training and during games can influence the situation and that's definitely been the case with Baddy Ashiel and Silver what a great yeah. experience for Baddy Ashiel to get some time alongside Silver and when they were fit together Koulibaly and Wesley Fafana again had a good relationship and there's a learning there because a player doesn't have to be in red hot form to influence Because in the context of training, where you can make errors, where you can try things, that's really where the development comes. I think when people say, well, couldn't Koulibaly teach people a trick or two? There perhaps becomes a feeling amongst the fan base that what's the relevance of a player that's becoming a bit error prone, that's becoming a bit old, but you only see them on a match day. Yeah. what about the vast majority of their working week, which is in training together, where they can try things, different formations, different styles, where you can stop and start, where you can shout and scream a bit more, where you can pull a player in and out of position. And this is what Silver does. And this is what, from what I understand, Koulibaly has even been doing as well. So that is key to development is learning from people at their own peak that have been there and done that. And Chelsea are lucky because Thiago Silva is still playing like a peak player. His family love it at Chelsea. The fan base love him. And he offers that leadership. He's got this innate positional sense, which means that he doesn't need that extra bit of pace necessarily, because he's always in the right place at the right time. And because Chelsea are not scoring that many goals at the moment, they 100% need defenders that are in the right place at the right time, because wins are narrow at the moment, even in games that Chelsea have dominated. So Silver, I think, will sit down with the club and extend because there's a mutual willingness to do that. And the beauty of a shorter term deal is you don't necessarily need to worry about handing up wages for, you know, years and years and years to come. It's obvious because of Silva's age that it will just be a shorter term contract and thing comparative even to a Kante or a Jorginho or a Mason Mount. So everything on that's heading in the right direction. Everything on the Kante front is looking more positive than it was a few months ago. And obviously they'll have to wait and see once the window shuts, if they can get a little bit closer to the terms that Mason Mount is looking for. And then of the others Um, That we haven't mentioned, there's still Jorginho to at least talk with, and he's the most likely one perhaps not to renew, and there's interest from Serie A there. And then away from that, they'll obviously also have to look at the futures of Pulisic, who we touched upon, who I still think would prefer a move to Serie A, and both Milan and possibly Juventus will look. And on top of that, there's the situation of the goalkeepers to resolve as well, because we haven't really seen a fit Mendy and a Kepper for a massive amount of time under Graham Potter. And therefore does he have an absolute categorical number one? Because whoever becomes the number two will have a completely different perspective of the football club under Graham Potter. And Chelsea have kind of oscillated over the last sort of few months under Tuchel and under Potter, and Mendy's had game time, and obviously Mendy was the starter, and now Kepa's got his opportunity and has made some outstanding stops. So we have to wait and see, because that will obviously determine if Mendy signs, and does he walk into the team when fit again? Does Kepa stay in the team? But also Chelsea are looking at names, like Rob Sanchez um, at Brighton, uh, which is one name to put out there, and also in addition to that, Another name that they really, really like um, at the moment is David Rea. Uh, and even Jordan Pickford will be on the market as well. And Tottenham in particular have been looking at him. And uh, who knows, Chelsea may go into the mix. But with Gargar Slanina being their long term, um, are they potentially, if both the goalkeepers that they've got at the moment in Kepa and Mendy don't want to stay, are they looking for a number two? Or are they looking for a number one? And it reminds me of Newcastle when they brought in Nick Pope and Dubravka was still there to begin with. And when Pope originally signed, it was not 100% clear if he was brought in to be the number one or if there would be genuine competition. And then it quickly became apparent that Pope would start. And what an inspired signing he's been. But, you know, from Chelsea's point of view, if they sign a Rhea, if they sign a Pickford, if they sign uh, Rob Sanchez, these are not goalkeepers that are going to want to come in and be a number two. So then you have to resolve the situations of Mendy and Kepper. And this is always the challenge with goalkeepers. And I'm surprised as a complete aside, just to finish by going on a sort of high horse almost, that if you got five subs in a game now and you're winning that game, let's just say 3-0, why are you not bringing on a substitute goalkeeper more often? We saw it with Weverton, the third choice goalkeeper in Brazil at the World Cup, where he was brought on just as a token to get some minutes so everyone could be involved, but it's so lonely being a number two goalkeeper. And if you've got five subs and not every game do you need those five subs and you're winning three nil. Why wouldn't you make more of a habit of bringing on your substitute goalkeeper for 10, 15 minutes and have the faith that they will uh, be able to secure a game where you've already got a healthy lead. It's different if you 1-0 or 2-0 up, because there can be a rust element. There can be uh, a lot more errors from a goalkeeper because they're not running around. They're not warming up. So I understand that it can be quite difficult. But coming back to what I said before, this is the American mentality of Todd Bowley, uh, away obviously from picking if his goalkeeper does or doesn't come on during a game because he has no say in that. But uh, if you look at how American sport works, Uh, They have a warm-up area for uh, pitchers and batters. So if you're going to come on and just pitch one inning, uh, you go off to the, the bullpen and you throw some balls. And I'm still staggered that football doesn't look at these little marginal gains. If I was building a new stadium tomorrow, then behind the home dugout, I would, maybe under the tunnel, I would build a small square of grass. I would have a goal there and I would allow my goalkeeper, if I knew he was coming in, to do 10 minutes before he comes in. Taking shots. If I had a penalty shootout incoming in a match, I would allow my substitutes to run into the tunnel if I knew they were coming on and practice penalties. How many times have we seen a penalty shootout where a sub has come on? The first thing they've done is taken a penalty and they've missed it. And there's nothing in the rules that would stop you having a more elaborate warm up, but football is football and it's always just had footballers running along the track. And I just think that, you know, why are we not open? And I think Todd Bowley is to these more Americanized ideas where you can go behind the tunnel and actually take a few shots before you come on, because then it, it lends itself towards maybe a situation of more specialist footballers that you might try. And I know I'm just going on complete rant here. It's got nothing to do with Chelsea suddenly, but I just think it's really interesting. I was at the uh, World Cup game when England went out and there was a last minute free kick that was almost too close to get up and over the wall. And I think off the top of my head, it was Rashford that took it. And it wasn't too far over uh, the bar. But you can instantly tell if he was two yards further back, he'd have buried that in the top right-hand corner. And then on the bench, you've got one of the best set-piece takers from shorter distances and James Madison, much more of a specialist getting around the wall or under the wall, where traditionally from that kind of distance, you've got a better chance of scoring. And he's never going to come on and only get to take that free kick. But again, imagine if there was a scenario where you said to James Madison, listen, if we get a free kick in perhaps the last three, four minutes of the game, we are going to throw you on because we've got the capacity to do so. And all we want you to do, therefore, in the last 10 minutes is go somewhere and take 20 free kicks from 25 yards out or less. And if the eventuality comes and we get that free kick and we can even try and win that free kick, then what we will do is we will stop, we will bring you on and we will let you take that free kick because unlike anyone else on the pitch, you've just had 20 goes at it in the last 10 minutes, give or take. So that's a completely ridiculous left field, extreme, innovative (laughs) thing. And I'm sure people will disagree with me, but I think that the whole point around a goalkeeper is that if you're going to keep Kepper and Mendy happy at the football club when they're both fit, then they need game time. And if you've got five subs why can't they both feature in the same game if you're comfortably winning within that game?
2: Ben, I think this is the, the out of box thinking that Todd's trying to trying to bring in place. (laughs) uh, Todd, if you're listening, I know you, you tend to join in and listen into some Chelsea content. So um, I think Ben has some great ideas And, and actually, you know what, it is something that would benefit the sport in general, if we had a little more specialist, like you're saying in certain scenarios and, um, with the goalkeeping situation, I I would love for us to be in a healthy lead at some point this season where we can get to you know make these subs. Uh, but at this point, I think as Chelsea fans, we'll just be happy with with some wins. Uh, but Ben, thanks very much for joining us, guys. You can catch Ben on Twitter. It's at JacobsBen um, For more content like this, as well as other uh, you know thoughts on on how the game can change over over time. And Ben, we'll catch you on the other side of the transfer window, and hopefully we'll be talking about. Enzo and or Moises Caicedo <laughs> uh, and maybe someone else. Like you said, there may be some surprises, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us at Premier Chelsea on all major podcast providers, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and we will be back with an episode later this week, but until then, stay safe and up to Chelsea.
0: Hey, guys, the Premier Chelsea is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code, TPCOFFEE15, to get 15% off your order You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.